<laughs> Tone deaf. Oh my god. Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. Huge, huge hit. Shout out Rebecca Black. Bodwin, it would sound good if you sang it instead of talking it. Uh, you don't want to hear me sing. Slam. Welcome to Denny's. Right off. Started the podcast off with a grand slam. Happy Friday, everybody. (laughs) All right. Mitch, let's get a word of the day rolling. All right. Word of the day. Um, It seems to go better when I become prepared. So, Uh, unfortunately, as you can hear the tone of my voice, I I did. So, sorry to all my loyal fans. But um, today's word of the day is veniality, um, which is the quality of being open to bribery or overly motivated by money. It's it's veniality. Veniality. V e n. Venality. Venality. Well, man, the site I'm on doesn't have like the phonetics, like whatever that fancy little upside down e type of looking stuff is. Um, but it it, it has the words, so it seemed like a cool definition. All right, I'm going for a four game winning streak. Here we go. All right. Well, I would love to conceal the venality to the public for those of us on this podcast, we are open to bribes, advertisements and cash donations from anybody for any reason. Okay. That's, you know what? That would be a solid t rev sentence right there. And by the way, I don't actually mean that. But <laughs> I just thought it would be <laughs> Albright, what you got? Nah, I mean, I already lost the week, so I'm not feeling super motivated over here. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Don't give him a 4-1 advantage. Um, we've been watching a lot of Marvel Rising in the Albright household, and Axley is perplexed by the venality of some of the supervillains in those um, TV shows. I... You know what? I'm just swayed by the smoothness Albright delivered that sentence with. So for that, I'm going with a 3-2 week, still in favor of Bowdoin, obviously, but Albright could take Friday. That's hilarious, because that's the first one I would have given to Ben, or to Bowdoin. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, you guys are getting a better uh, better judgment of what, what my criteria is at. Well, hey, we'll take it. We'll take it to the bank. All right, AD, what do you got? All right. This week, everyone now has the ability to talk to animals, but it comes down to what type of animal you can talk to. Oh, my daughter's so, got a very specific list. Would you rather <laughs> be able to talk to land animals, animals that can fly, or animals that live underwater? Dolphins are as so, smart as humans. I'm talking to dolphins, sea animals, and a story. See, I thought you were going to say land animals only because of Tiger King, and I wanted a better answer, so thank you. Uh, land animals because I live in Vermont, so that's what I have the most interaction with. Sometimes I would have I to go like... for birds. I, I would have to go animals that fly, man. But I think birds are real dogs. Uh, 
I think birds are government spies, I think and I think Corona is a secret, secret, a secret ploy so they can change the batteries. Oh, Mitch, so you should probably watch, um, what is it, like, sp- Spies in Disguise? I just watched this with Axley. It's literally about a spy who turns into a pigeon. Oh, yeah, they like, magically turn a CIA spy into a pigeon. Yeah. Hey, man. Well, birds work for the bourgeoisie. I feel like I am... <laughs> I feel like I'm just a big predictable joke because well, everyone obviously knows you have to talk to your fish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. you're vegetarian piranhas, aka fake fish, <laughs> dude. But wait, I'm gonna they post... are, they are. I bet they are like the annoying snobby vegans of fish. Like yeah. you're definitely feeding them like food, and they're like, "How much sodium is in this?" Yeah, like, but is it local. Like whenever you get a new fish, they'll be like, "Oh, by the way, we're vegetarian piranhas." Yes, like they have I feel like they're making fun of vegetarians. They like, oh, we are. almost are. I'm like not offended yet. So. No, vegan. <laughs> let me let me I let am. me make that let me make that clarification. I'm making fun of vegans, not vegetarians. We're not gonna make There's fun of vegans. Difference. Why are we doing that? But I am Hey, no, we I are not I am. It's different. I wanna give vegans if, a if that's your life choice. You know what, Alex? Vegans are good for the environment, their life choice. And I respect them because I don't know how anyone could eat a vegan diet. So I have a ton of respect. Well, and most for them vegans are that. like really good cooks because they have to prepare food like in a specialty way and have like awesome recipes. I, I don't know, Alex. The T Rev Daily Podcast. Supports you guys are wild. Of all eating of all eating, uh, uh, whatever. No, uh, I, no, I, I think support, I support all eating styles. But if you force it upon other people and brag about it, then I'm allowed to make fun of it. I mean, in Alex's defense, Bodwin forces his Bucks fanship, fanship, is that a word? On us all the time, and we do make yeah. fun of him for it. Yep. That's the exact same thing. Being a Bucks well, fan is the same thing as being a vegan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's true. Slam! Welcome what? to Denny's. You now owe me 13 No, that one was not a grand slam. And also, wouldn't it be fourteen ninety seven? No. Mr. Yeah, Marlowe. four ninety nine. Mr. Marlowe, are you hearing this? <laughs> I'm I'm adding correctly, I think. Um, no, 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 it would Mitch, be thirteen ninety seven. You're right, it's fourteen. Thank you. Uh, All right, so before we end this uh, segment, I want to give Eliza Thornberry a big shout out. Why? Because <laughs> the Wild Thornberry is great show. Eliza could talk to animals. It was on Nickelodeon. Oh, it was a great show. Are you guys? Mitch, Alex, you guys are like seven, so you probably don't oh, remember. Oh, the Thornberrys yeah, is like not that old. Remember when there was a crossover, Wild Thornberrys, Rugrats? No. Yeah, but I remember it like it was yesterday, <laughs> the OG crossover. <laughs> I mean, as far as like talking the, to animal the first references, collab. I would have gone with Dr. Doolittle, but you know. Oh yeah, I don't know who that what? is. Well, I've Doctor Who. Wait, I heard, I've heard of him, but I don't actually that with Robert Downey. Yes, they did. Was is it? I haven't seen it. If I like, do I want to watch it and ruin? I haven't it seen it yet. The original. Wait, what original are you okay. referring to? Because there was an original before Eddie Murphy. <laughs> okay, well, the first one I saw was D- was Eddie Murphy on a on a cassette okay. tape. <laughs> you mean a VHS tape? <laughs> or a VHS tape? Sorry, not a cassette. VHS tape. Um. So, oh my lord! Wow. Will Spencer's about to join the podcast. How could we mess with him when he joins? Like, let, let's do something to mess. Oh, with him. Mitch, we need to give him his yeah will intro right when he joins. 
all right. When so Will, like, we, just, we just get nothing. So when and Will, we, we say Will nothing. join the call, and I'll say, go. And then we'll go, yeah, Will. This Perfect. is a thing people understand. Okay. Yes, yes, everyone Everyone gets, yeah, Will. The suspense so is killing me. Now we just have the dead space of waiting for Will. The suspenser is killing that you. Was that, that was not funny. That was hilarious. Rough. Well, as we're waiting Thank for you. him, I'm going to make sure that my scary story is uh, pulled up and ready to go because it is going to it is gonna frighten Mitch. You are not going to be able to sleep tonight. I'll tell you that much. You better just play Warzone all night because you're not going to be able to Actually, sleep. you know what, Mitch? I need, you to be, I need you to be the one to notice it and say go because I'm playing right now, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't even know where my phone is at the moment. Dude, yeah, but we have this weird on thing call? on our podcast where oh, oh, we get a lot of listens between midnight and <laughs> Hey, man. Hey, go. Hey, go. Yeah, well. Yeah, well. Yeah, well. Yeah, well. Mr. Bowden, you were like 40 minutes off from. <laughs> Ooh, slam. <laughs> oh, from when I said we warned that we're like not really timely. <laughs> I was wondering if it was still happening. I was yeah, like, oh. I had to text Will, be like, he's running late. Don't worry. Come on. Oh, wow. Yeah, I told you. Yeah, oops. Sorry about that. It's all good. Is Chase doing it too uh, still? Or? No, nope, Chase worked out. On no, Chase worked oh. out. Chase Carey bailed on the podcast. So Chase Chase Carey is the first ever enemy of the show. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. We have That's a, not he's at the bat. We have a he's lot on of... the bottom of the list now for potential We guests. have a lot of friends of the pod, but he's the first enemy of the pod. I would not want to be in his position. That is. <laughs> so, Will, you're a you're a great guy. Um, for the for the audience members, in case no one, in case anyone didn't know that, Will's a great guy. Great, great guy. Will Will Spencer, absolute stand up kid. Love the guy. Um, Will, for audience members who don't know you, uh, just introduce yourself. Like, pretend this is a job interview. So, uh, my name is Will Spencer. I am a senior. Um, I have lived in Colchester for most of my life, and I, oh God, um, I like to play sports, and I really like math. Is that, is that good enough? Yeah, that's will. solid. Okay. Yeah, yeah, will. Yeah, I'd hire you. Yeah, will. We hear you just had a birthday. Uh, will name? Yeah, uh, yeah, I did last Friday. Happy birthday. Will, what were your you. what were Thank your you. thoughts at, at that first? Like your first thoughts when you saw a bunch of cars rolling by your house honking their horns? I almost started crying out of pure happiness. <laughs> one of one of the greatest moments of my life. <laughs> No, it actually was very nice. Though. I was very surprised. Yeah. Was, but... <laughs> this is why we love Will. Living legend. Uh, so, Will, question yes. for you. Um, you know, you're the captain of the CHS hockey team, you know, as we know. Um, could you tell us everything we need to know about Austin Daniel? <laughs> Alex's brother? Oh, God. Stinner. Okay. Stinner. So Stinner is a great kid. He's kind of got a, a big mouth on him, you know. He he likes to talk back a little, but in like yeah, a joking, you don't have to tell me twice in a joking sort of way. Um, definitely one of my favorite freshmen on the hockey team. 
Um, he's but he's a very he's a very nice kid. He's thoughtful. He's hardworking. Um, great great kid. So Stinner, if you're listening, buddy, I miss you. He is an avid listener. He always oh, listens good. to Norma. Oh, yeah. Hey, wait, Alex, have him listen on two separate streams so it looks like more people are listening. Yeah, uh, so actually, what I figured out, <laughs> I think what his numbers do, up. I, it might not work for a podcast, but if, for, like, songs, if you put, like, one song on a, po- on a playlist ten times and you play it, it'll look like it's playing it ten times. And so, you'd, like, you get, the person gets more listens. Oh, wow. So maybe if we could figure okay. out a way to do that with a podcast. Why, why would one do that? Of hits. A national audience. Just like Yeah. <laughs> So, so their number. Well, would you say? There. Would you say you're a regular listener? Um, I've listened. I've listened a little bit. I I would not say I'm a regular listener though. But maybe after have you today. listened to like Monday and Tuesday's episodes yet? No. Okay. Well, if you made a podcast, I probably wouldn't listen to it. So no I, worries. I'm not. Whoa, I don't whoa! Is, that's a big accusation. That is, I do not well, take offense to that. On a serious note, if you made a podcast, I would actually listen to every episode. <laughs> <laughs> so exactly the opposite yeah, of what to... you just said. Okay. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm having second thoughts because I actually think you would have an interesting. Should podcast. I pursue that as my career? Will would have yeah, a maybe. cool like podcast name too. Because we didn't get to name this podcast, and that's why it's kind of just like T Rev Daily. Um, yeah. that name's awesome. Speak for yourself. I I agree. I think that is a perfect name. Thank you, Will. Right to the point. I do. I mean, like, I like it, but I feel like you could spice it up a bit, you know? Maybe that's just me. Albright, what if we cut Alex and Mitch? Yeah, I'm kind of on board with that. What am I doing, yes. man? I'm doing, doing well. well. Yes. I'm in. I'm... <laughs> right, Alex, I'm doing like, good. Okay, I'm not doing well. Yeah. I'm doing No, good. I love this podcast to death, but, like, man, the name is great. It's, yeah, good, it's a great name. Great. You're good, not great. I think it should have been make podcast great oh. again. <laughs> wow, I got slammed. <laughs> yeah, is is the name Well Albright? Is it is Well Well? <laughs> hey, um, Will, so you're joining us for our Freaky Friday episode, which means we're reading some scary yep. stories. Um, and you and Albright and I are going to uh, are going to read some scary, uh, one scary story each. And Alex and Mitch are going to judge to see who has the best okay, score. Okay, yep. So I want you to decide the order we go in. To okay, I think Mr. Bodon has to go first. <laughs> I would say um, I'll go second and then Miss uh, Albright, you can go last. Albright with the finale. So I, feel, I, feel like, I feel like Miss Albright, is probably, she's just going to kill it. So, you know. Gotta, if, gotta if there's, if there's give one, us a chance before. If there's one takeaway from last week, is it is even if you are able to follow Albright's story, like score wise, <laughs> you will be mentally messed up to the yeah, degree you that you just can't. Your story you can't say anything. Hearing hers, you're I, so okay. messed up. <laughs> Maybe I should have saved that one for a later week. <laughs> yeah. That was a nice one. We're like used to the since we're used to how Freaky Friday works. Maybe you can tell a like a legit haunting story. That was a scary story. I don't know what you are talking about. Oh, Albert's story. Oh yeah, no, I was terrifying. referring to that. It was like that the was, Silence of the Lambs. Like, I'm saying you Freaky Friday waited, stories. Like, 
for like until we get into the swing of things to tell that story because it like threw us off guard. Yeah, maybe I'm going with the same author again though. <clears throat> oh jeez. Oh. Oh Christ. <clears throat> All right. Well, I'm going with a classic. Um, I'm going with The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving. And All right, Bowden. I went to look this up several <laughs> minutes ago. Um, and I realized that it's a really <laughs> long story. So I actually am on gradesaver.com right now. And I'm going to oh, read the story. Disqualified. Um, so here we go. Ichabod Crane comes to Sleepy Hollow, New York, from his hometown of Connecticut to be the schoolmaster of the village. Sleepy Hollow is a small, very quiet town, said to be under some kind of enchantment. Ooh. Its residents all seem to move a little slower, daydream a little more, and be more prone to believe in the supernatural. If you're not spooked yet, check your pulse. <laughs> Sleepy Hollow. Maybe for that reason, or maybe because its residents are almost all descended from its original Dutch settlers, has more than its fair share of supernatural occurrences. Sleepy Hollow's most famous supernatural phenomenon is the ghost of the Headless Horseman, said to be a Hessian soldier who lost his head to a cannonball during the Revolutionary War. The horseman is seen most often riding by the church where local historians say he was buried. He is believed to be always in search of his head. Ichabod is fascinated by this story, being especially interested in tales of the supernatural. Ichabod is a strict teacher, but not a cruel one, doling out his punishment only to those who can handle it. Ichabod makes almost no money and is customary in the village for the farmers whose sons he teaches to feed and board him in rotation. Along with this, Ichabod makes some extra money teaching singing lessons. He prides himself greatly on his magnificent voice. Ichabod and I have that in common. <laughs> this arrangement keeps him employed and gives him many opportunities to hear ghost stories for the farmers' wives and eat meals with the farmers' families. Katrina Van Tassel, a beautiful young woman, is one of Ichabod's students. She's also the only child of Baltus Van Tassel, one of the more successful farmers in the area. Ichabod is quickly taken by her, but it is when he first visits her father's abundant farm that he considers himself truly in love with her, or at least her likely inheritance. Oh, so he's in it for the money. He quickly sets out to win her hand in marriage, coming by the Van Tassel farm frequently to woo her. Ichabod is not alone in his attentions to Katrina, however. Her charm and wealth have entranced many other men in the village, especially the formidable Brom Van Brunt, also known as Brom Bones. Brom is notorious for his boisterous personality, love of pranks, and great skill at horseback riding, all of which make him a village Hero. I just lost my place. Hold on. Ah, here we go. Brom has already scared off many of Katrina's other suitors, but Ichabod is harder to shake, avoiding physical confrontation with Brom, which is Brom's main method of intimidation. He's like Will Spencer, just beats people mm -hmm. up. That's what I do. 
without that option. Brom turns to his next best skill, Franks. He fills the schoolhouse with smoke, trains a dog to follow Ichabod around howling, and sets many other pranks to frustrate and humiliate Ichabod. Uh, this is boring. Can I skip ahead? Um, uh, okay, here we go. Uh, okay, so I'm skipping this paragraph. It looks like Ichabod tries to ask Katrina out and it fails. Okay, So Ichabod's heading home. He finds the path home dark and eerily quiet. He tries to keep himself from getting too scared, but soon after he has passed the possibly haunted Major Andre's tree, he sees a dark, dark, looming figure nearby. It does not respond to his call, but as he passes by, it starts to move and joins him on the path, riding a large, dark horse. Ichabod is greatly disturbed and tries to shake off his pursuer, but he fails. Finally, he notices that the rider has no head on his shoulders. The head seems to be sitting in the saddle in front of the man. Ichabod tries to get his decrepit horse to run home as fast as it can, but he is not a skilled rider, and the horse resists. They end up by the church, the scene of most of the stories of the headless horseman, and Ichabod races to the bridge, where the ghost is said to disappear and not follow beyond. Ichabod crosses the bridge and looks back, but he sees the horseman, instead of disappearing, hurl his detached head at him. It knocks Ichabod off of his horse. The next day, Ichabod's horse returns to its owner's farm, but there's no sign of Ichabod. A search party returns. Uh, whoops, Matt, hold on. A search party finds hoofprints and Ichabod's hat with a smashed pumpkin left next to it. Ichabod is never heard from again in Sleepy Hollow, although later it seems that he is alive elsewhere and has told his story. Ah, let's leave that part out. Let's pretend he died. It's scary. <laughs> Ichabod dies. <laughs> All right, that's it. Wow. That, I that was terrible. That. that was horrible. <laughs> That was, I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah, but all your extra comments just turned into a comedy. Well, I want to tone down, the, you know, like, say, you know, say someone out there, I'm trying to think, like, say, um, you know, like, Russell Chase is out there, a guy gets scared really easily. Say he's listening to it, gets a little spooked, I like to throw in a little humor to make him not scared. Well, it is Freaky Friday. So I mean, like the the essence of the story is creepy, right? So this last um Halloween uh I don't know if y'all remember, but this past Halloween it rained like cats and dogs all night long. Um so Mr. Albright took our just turned five year old daughter trick or treating. And in the center of Fairfax there's a covered bridge. Um and they're on the covered bridge in the dark, in the pouring rain, and he tells her about the headless horseman. And this, like, newly five-year-old kid looks at him and goes, Daddy, you should have waited till I was older to tell me that story. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's awesome. That's creepy, but that's awesome. Yeah, I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, that's very, that's very aware of yeah. actually to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I could barely talk when I was alive. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, 
Will, right. are you up next? Uh, I believe Will, are you so, up yes. next? All right. <clears throat> Will, did you remove the line right. I told you to take out? Yes, I did. Okay, thanks. Oh, uh, come on. Growing up poor in the deep south meant sharing a lot with my brother, Ollie. Most often, we'd pass toys, clothes, and skin conditions between us. Up until he was six, we even shared a bed. Neither of us was happy about that. It was my 10th birthday when that changed. I got one present that year, and it was a bed of my own. Ollie was jealous right away, and I could understand why. He had to keep that half-broken-down frame with the worn-out mattress. The one I had gotten wasn't much better, but not being broken and worn was enough. Sleeping apart was a great feeling. It was freedom. No longer would I have to suffer the sudden and inexplicable kicks to the stomach. No longer would I wake up with Ollie's foot pressed into my neck like he'd stepped on Dracula the night before. At least, that's what I thought. Right after, or right away, right after I got the new bed, the shrieks started. At first, I thought Ollie woke up in the middle of the night and screamed because he'd gotten scared. Then, the sound echoed through the tiny room again, and I knew it wasn't a normal cry. The room was always black as pitch after sunset. The one window we had was pressed against a long leaf pine, and even the biggest, brightest moon cast no light inside. The shriek just above, or just about drove me crazy. Every night, probably at the same exact time, these sharp yelps would knock me right out of my dreams. It wasn't my mom or dad yelling either. I knew what they sounded, what that sounded like, believe me. Most worrying of all was the fact that I could never tell where it was coming from. It seemed completely random. One night it would come from somewhere near the closet, the next it would shoot out from the corner of the ceiling. Any hope I'd have of having my own space would get dashed every time as Ollie would silently slip into the bed with me, shaking like crazy. He'd clasp onto me and wouldn't let go until it was almost daybreak. Most times, I'd take his hand and tell him everything was going to be okay, that it'd be over by morning, but I was never really sure. Over time, the shriek started changing. At first, it was only by small degrees, but eventually it took over or took on the primal hooting sound of a primate calling out, its fierce warning. I had to clasp pillows over my ears just to keep from going deaf. Mom and Dad never believed me or Ollie, basically because the thing, whatever it was, refused to make a peep when they were in the room. Apparently, they couldn't even hear it through the walls, even though it was sure loud enough. The shriek just got worse and worse until I felt like I couldn't take it anymore. Me and Ollie were doing really bad in school, and we just had no energy at all. I could sleep more deeply with my head propped up and eyes open in the middle of class than in my own room at night. Then, thankfully, we moved out of the house nearly a year later. There was no problem at the next house. It was a nice, white, cookie-cutter home on a dead-end street, and I welcomed the normalcy. What's more, when, when we moved in there, there was a bunk bed waiting for me and Ollie. No more broken bed, no more second bed I ended up having to share anyway. The only problem was deciding who'd get the top bunk. I told Ollie I deserved it. After all, I had gotten a new bed way back, and he ruined it by climbing in every night. What? He shook his head. I never did that. 
I had always wondered why the noise stopped the second I was sharing my bed. Now I had the answer. Oh, that's pretty good. Oh. I know. Oof. Wow. I'm over here like I'm like shit. I'm like I can't. I don't know. I'm freaked out right now. <laughs> wow. Be able so to sleep who tonight. was that in the? Bed? Well done, Will. I don't know. Well, thank you. Great. Well done. Well, Didn't use as much emotion as Mr. Bo. Well but... done. Wow. All right. Wait, can I just? Was that better? Than uh, yeah. Bo's in my story? opinion, yes. That's all that I need. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I. I thought it was good, but not as good as mine. Bodwin, it was just the fact that you spark notes a story that we all have heard. Is the is yeah. my issue with it? You find unoriginal scary stories week in and week out. Pers- You're unoriginal. <laughs> <laughs> wow, great one. All right. You know what? I thought I I thought I put a nice twist on a classic. Well, I think Will just thought. wiped the floor with you. Yeah, I'm yeah, not gonna lie. Definitely. All right, Albright, let's see. Will what might right. beat me. Uh, All right, this that. one's called the price. Tramps and vagabonds have marks they make on gateposts and trees and doors, letting others of their kind know a little about the people who live at the houses and farms they pass on their travels. I think cats must leave similar signs. How else to explain the cats who turn up at our door through the year, hungry and flea-ridden and abandoned? We take them in. We get rid of the fleas and the ticks, feed them and take them to the vet. We pay for them to get their shots, and, indignity upon indignity, we have them neutered or spayed. And they stay with us for a few months or for a year or forever. Most of them arrive in summer. We live in the country, just the right distance out of town for the city dwellers to abandon their cats near us. We never seem to have more than eight cats, rarely have less than three. The cat population of my house is currently as follows. Hermione and Pod, Tabby and Black, respectively. The mad sisters who live in my attic office and do not mingle. Snowflake, the blue-eyed, long-haired white cat who lived wild in the woods for years before she gave up her wild ways for soft sofas and beds. And last, but largest, Furball, Snowflake's cushion-like calico long-haired daughter, orange and black and white, whom I discovered as a tiny kitten in our garage one day, strangled and almost dead, her head poked through an old badminton net, and who surprised us all by not dying, but instead growing up to be the best-natured cat I've ever encountered. And then there's the black cat, who has no other name than the black cat, and who turned up almost a month ago. We did not realize he was going to be living here at first. He looked too well-fed to be a stray, too old and jaunty to have been abandoned. He looked like a small panther, and he moved like a patch of night. One day in the summer, he was lurking about our ramshackle porch, eight or nine years old, at a guess. Male, greenish-yellow of eye, very friendly, quite unperturbable. I assumed he belonged to a neighboring farmer or household. I went away for a few weeks to finish writing a book, and when I came home, he was still on our porch, living in an old cat bed one of the children had found for him. He was, however, almost unrecognizable. Patches of fur had gone, and there were deep scratches on his gray skin. The tip of one ear was chewed away. There was a gash beneath one eye, a slice gone from one lip. He looked tired and thin. We took the black cat to the vet, where we got him some antibiotics, which we fed him each night along with soft cat food. We wondered who he was fighting. Snowflake, our beautiful white near-feral queen, raccoons, a rat-tailed fanged possum. Each night the scratches would be worse. One night his side would be chewed up, the next it would be his underbelly, raked with claw marks and bloody to the touch. When it got to that point, I took him down to the basement to recover beside the furnace and the piles of boxes. He was surprisingly heavy, the black cat, 
and I picked him up and carried him down there with a cat basket and a litter box and some food and water. I closed the door behind me. I had to wash the blood from my hands when I left the basement. He stayed down there for four days. At first, he seemed too weak to feed himself. A cut beneath one eye had rendered him almost one-eyed, and he limped and lolled weakly, sick yellow pus oozing from the cut in his lip. I went down there every morning and every night, and I fed him and gave him antibiotics, which I mixed with his canned food, and I dabbed at the worst of the cuts and spoke to him. He had diarrhea, and although I changed his litter daily, the basement stank evilly. The four days the black cat lived in the basement were a bad four days in my house. The baby slipped in the bath and banged her head and might have drowned. I learned that a project I had set my heart on was no longer going to happen, and I realized it not, I did not have the energy to begin again from scratch, pitching it to other networks or to other media. My daughter left for summer camp and immediately began to send home a plethora of heart-tearing letters and cards, five or six each day, imploring us to bring her home. My son had some kind of fight with his best friend to the point where they were no longer on speaking terms. And returning home one night, my wife hit a deer that ran out in front of the car. The deer was killed, the car was left undrivable, and my wife sustained a small cut over one eye. By the fourth day, the cat was prowling the basement, walking haltingly but impatiently between the stacks of books and comics, the boxes of mail and cassettes, of pictures and of gifts and of stuff. He mewed at me to let him out, and reluctantly I did so. He went back onto the porch and slept there for the rest of the day. The next morning, there were deep new gashes in his flanks and clumps of black cat hair. His covered the wooden boards of the porch. Letters arrived that day from my daughter telling us camp was going better and she thought she could survive a few days. My son and his friends sorted out their problem, although what the argument was about, trading cards, computer games, Star Wars, or a girl, I would never learn. The BBC executive who had vetoed my book was discovered to have been taking bribes and I was sent home on permanent leave. His successor, I was delighted to learn when she faxed me, was the woman who initially proposed the project. I thought about returning the black cat to the basement, but decided against it. Instead, I resolved to try and discover what kind of animal was coming to our house each night, and from there to formulate a plan of action, to trap it, perhaps. For birthdays and at Christmas, my family gives me gadgets and gizmos, pricey toys which excite my fancy, but ultimately rarely leave their boxes. There's a food dehydrator and an electric carving knife, a bread baking machine, and last year's present, a pair of see-in-the-dark binoculars. On Christmas Day, I put the batteries into the binoculars and walked about the basement in the dark too impatient even to wait until nightfall, stalking a flock of imaginary starlings. You were warned not to turn it on in the light. That would have damaged the binoculars and quite possibly your eyes as well. Afterward, I put the device back in its box and it sat there still in my office beside the box of computer cables and forgotten bits and pieces. Perhaps I thought if the creature, dog or cat or raccoon or what have you, were to see me sitting on the porch, it would not come. So I took a chair into the box and coat room, little larger than a closet, which overlooks the porch. And when everyone in the house was asleep, I went out on the porch and bade the black cat good night. That cat, my wife had said when he first arrived, is a person. And there was something very person-like in his huge linen face, his broad black nose, his greenish-yellow eyes, his fanged but amiable mouth, still leaking pus from the right lower lip. I stroked his head and scratched him beneath the chin and wished him well. And then I went inside and turned off the light on the porch. I sat on my chair in the darkness inside the house, with the see-in-the-dark binoculars on my lap. I switched the binoculars on, and a trickle of greenish light came from the eyepieces. Time passed in the darkness. I experimented with looking at the darkness with the binoculars, learning to focus to see the world in shades of green. I found myself horrified by the number of swarming insects I could see in the night air. It was as if the night world were some kind of nightmarish soup swimming with life. And then I lowered the binoculars from my eyes and stared out at the rich blacks and blues of the night, empty and peaceful and calm. Time passed. I struggled to keep awake, found myself profoundly missing cigarettes and coffee, my two lost addictions. Either of them would have kept my eyes open. 
But before I had tumbled too far into the world of sleep and dreams, a yowl from the garden jerked me fully awake. I fumbled the binoculars to my eyes and was disappointed to see it was merely Snowflake, the white cat streaking across the front garden like a patch of greenish-white light. She vanished into the woodland to the left of the house and was gone. I was about to settle myself back down when it occurred to me to wonder what exactly had startled Snowflake so. And I began scanning the middle distance with the binoculars, looking for a huge raccoon, a dog, or a vicious possum. And there was indeed something coming down the driveway toward the house. I could see it through the binoculars, clear as day. It was the devil. I had never seen the devil before, and although I had written about him in the past, if pressed, would have confessed I had no belief in him, other than as an imaginary figure, tragic and Miltonian. The figure coming up the driveway was not Milton's Lucifer. It was the devil. My heart began to pound in my chest, to pound so hard that it hurt. I hoped it could not see me, that in a dark house behind window glass I was hidden. The figure flickered and changed as it walked up the drive. One moment it was dark, bull-like, minotaurish. The next it was slim and female. The next it was a cat itself, a scarred, huge, gray-green wildcat, its face contorted with hate. There are steps that lead up to my porch, four white wooden steps in need of a coat of paint. I knew they were white, although they were like everything else, green through my binoculars. At the bottom of the steps, the devil stopped and called out something I could not understand. Three, perhaps four words in a whining, howling language that must have been old and forgotten when Babylon was young. And although I did not understand the words, I felt the hairs rise on the back of my head as it called. And then I heard, muffled through the glass, but still audible, a low growl, a challenge. And slowly, unsteadily, a black figure walked down the steps of the house away from me, toward the devil. These days, the black cat no longer moved like a panther. Instead, he stumbled and rocked like a sailor only recently returned to land. The devil was a woman now. She said something soothing and gentle to the cat in a tongue that sounded like French and reached out a hand to him. He sank his teeth into her arm and her lip curled and she spat at him. The woman glanced up at me then and if I had doubted she was the devil before, I was certain of it now. The woman's eyes flashed red fire at me, but you can see no red through the night vision binoculars, only shades of a green. And the devil saw me through the window. It saw me. I am in no doubt about that at all. The devil twisted and writhed and now it was some kind of jackal a flat-faced, huge-headed, bull-necked creature halfway between a hyena and a dingo. There were maggots squirming in its mangy fur, and it began to walk up the steps. The black cat leapt upon it, and in seconds they became a rolling, writhing thing, moving faster than my eyes could follow, all this in silence. And then a low roar down the country road at the bottom of our drive in the distance lumbered a late-night truck, its blazing headlights burning bright as green suns through the binoculars. I lowered them from my eyes and saw only darkness and the gentle yellow of headlights, and the red light, red of rear lights as it vanished off again into the nowhere at all. When I raised the binoculars once more, there was nothing to be seen, only the black cat on the steps staring up into the air. I trained the binoculars up and saw something flying away, a vulture perhaps or an eagle, and it flew beyond the trees and was gone. I reached out onto the porch and picked up the black cat and stroked him and said kind, soothing things to him. He mewled piteously when I first approached him. But after a while, he went to sleep on my lap, and I put him into his basket and went upstairs to my bed to sleep myself. There was dried blood on my t-shirt and jeans the following morning. That was a week ago. The thing that comes to my house does not come every night, but it comes most nights. We know it by the wounds on the cat and the pain I can see in those eyes. He has lost the use of his front left paw, and his right eye is closed for good. I wonder what we did to deserve the black cat. I wonder who sent him. And, selfish and scared... I wonder how much more he has to give. Wow. Holy cow. 
Why? So, why did he let on. the cat suffer? Like, why did he bring it inside? Because when he brought it inside, things got bad. Inside, get bad oh, that's true. That's true. But, like, was it better for the cat? Wow. Oh. Yeah. What is the cat? Oh, the cat's a person, clearly. But, holy cow. That's wild. That's insane. All right, my God. Okay, it wasn't as weird as last week. <laughs> no, it wasn't as weird, but it's still like, God. There's a lot to There's digest. There's just so much to digest. Yeah. But I think that's equally as scary as the one you cut from me last week. Yeah, I agree. It might be, and I can't cut it because it was Albright, so she'd get mad at me. So. <laughs> I mean, you I, Alex, I, in, in terms of, I can't even fully process this right now. This is going to take a while. Um, but I enjoy it, Albright's because you, you need, like, you can think about it in so many different ways. Like, I would agree. The thing with, like, they can't bring the cat in because it, then they have bad luck, but then they have to make the cat suffer in order for them to be better off. But then, is the cat really a cat? It's like, it's a thinker. <clears throat> I mean, the cat's <laughs> no. definitely not a normal cat. Well, I think we can assume that. But, wow. I, I Alex, really, if we're, if we're I ranking... Will, the, if I will say that Will's was, Will's was scary, and but it was like, with the short amount of time that he delivered it in, it was like scary enough with that limited amount of detail. Yeah, well, mine was good. Really... Yeah, it was. In 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 my opinion, I'm giving Will and Albright a tie on the selected story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah, Albright was definitely was... third. <laughs> yeah, Bowen, Bowen. I'm sorry, but you're third by a couple country third. miles. Um, but I'm giving Albright the edge on like. Delivery. I, I would agree. But Will, respectable showing. Absolutely. Very respectable. Thank you, Mitch. And, and Alex, I don't know, do you do you concur with my my rating? See <clears throat> the thing about um see Will's is a lot like Maddie's because you get that like mic drop moment at the end. Right. And that's why I liked that a lot because it's like that last moment of the realization of like, no, it was so twisted and like odd. Yep. Um, so I kind of want to give it to Will in a way, but they're, they're like, they are super close. But it's just, I, I favor that kind of like ending moment more. Okay. So. I give the edge to Will, but it's like it's super close. Other than both, good showing, Will. Okay, thank you. Well, well done. Yeah, well done. Well, well, I'm very proud, proud of, of all of you too. <laughs> just, just, just letting you guys. Know. <laughs> um. All right. Well, hey, Will. Any final parting? Uh, any final parting message? Um. I would just say, uh, stay healthy, everyone. Cause, you know, it's scary out there. It's, it's not, not. It's a weird time. So just hope everyone's doing good. Hope everyone's staying healthy. 
You're a good guy, Will. Thanks for True coming that. on. Thanks for coming I on. Will. I'll have to start, I'll Thanks, have to start following the pod a little bit more. Hey, that, yeah, man, yeah, for sure. Right. Definitely will. It's, always, it's always time to start. Thank you for having me, guys. See ya. Thanks for coming on. Later. Right. Later, buddy. Okay. Wow. Hear me out. All right. Just made a connection. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> that, that, that thing doesn't come every night, but it comes more yeah. often than not. We had like two out of three episodes tonight interrupted by a little ghost lady <laughs> over there. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Albright, were you were you setting up that story by being I I would like to lay like claim to that, but I legit thought it was Emily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After telling that story, Albright would totally be like, Yeah, it was me. I mean that would be brilliant and awesome, but I absolutely thought it was Emily. <laughs> And then I was like, yeah, there's a female laughter that's not me. And then Bowden was like, Emily's working till midnight. And I went like, wait. Albright, you could have had your Game of Thrones fans get ready for this reference. You could have had your Olena Tyrell moment. You know that I don't know what that means, right? Uh, yeah, oh, you I tried so hard, hard Bowden. No, I, I'm not so a game. hard. I, I I I uh I by the time I wanted to get into game we had canceled our HBO subscription and then it was too late when we got but it just again. So you know, no one no one calls it game. For <laughs> okay. What do they call it? G-O-T? What are you? Uh yeah sure but literally no one has ever called it. Gotta game. go. Well, what can you do? To be honest, it wasn't. Right, well, I hey. didn't even do it intentionally. I just kind of forgot that there was an of Thrones <laughs> after it, and. It was just it was just an epic brain fart. It wasn't intentional. I don't know if that makes it better or that's, worse, but that's the truth. I think it makes it better. <laughs> um, all right, crew, let's do some appreciations. Um, you know, I appreciate my uh, my dog for keeping me company during quarantine. So always oh, got someone same. on my side. So <clears throat> shout out, Randy. I mean, if my fish were to hear that and then I didn't give him a shout out, then that'd be super. Yes, awkward. that is the awkward <laughs> thing that's fake, happening. So I'm gonna shout out. Shout out. But when you're, I'm gonna shout out my fish, man. They don't rest. You know, they <laughs> are constantly swimming. Just uh, keep swimming. Hashtag no days off. You know what I'm saying? Just keep swimming is better. So I'm gonna give. Yeah. I'm gonna give my fish a big shout. Hashtag out. just keep swimming. Well, I've had some rough shout-outs. Ben yeah, you got to step it up next week. Shout-outs the last two days. <laughs> no, BK, you're a good shout-out, but my fish aren't very good. So. All right. Um, I want to shout-out uh, one of my little ace buddies. Uh, his name's Bronson because uh, today was his birthday, and I was really close with him at summer camp in ace, and his mom invited me to his surprise birthday parade, and we did a drive-by at his house. And so I just wanted to shout him out because that was like a really cool moment for me. Because um, you know we made like a little, I made a little poster for him and hung it on my car window, and uh, everyone not drove by and said happy birthday to him. Uh, and that was that. Well, that's made the sweetest day. thing I've heard all day. That's awesome. I'm gonna shout. That's awesome. And Albright, you know him because I oh, showed it's you the dude the from the essay. He's the one who's like super into the Beastie nice. Boys. Yeah, it's the essay kid. He's the one who's into like the Beastie Boys, and so uh, my poster said, "You got to fight for your right oh. for a birthday party." <laughs> that's awesome. Alex, that's really cool. And he, yeah, and so that is awesome. 
Yeah, and like I was really taken back because his his mom texted me out of nowhere and she was like, "Hey, you should come do this for him." And I was like, oh, "How could I not do that?" I wrote him in my freaking essay. I love it. I'm gonna shout out Vermont Springtime oh, because last night I heard the peepers for the first time, and that's my favorite sound in the entire world. That's me too, Albright. I slept with my windows open last so night. So great. No reason, so. It's awesome. And now I'm not going to sleep with my windows open because I'm wearing that stupid <laughs> devil. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a great have weekend. A great weekend. We'll see you next Don't week. Don't get killed by devil cats, everybody. See ya. <laughs>